It's Wednesday Wonders, science fiction and fantasy on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. The Leviathan Chronicles. An audio adventure. Chapter 4. An Unknown Ally. New York City. Today. Jesus. Jesus. I can't believe it. Jimmy's dead. God, I can't even look at him. Those needles are just sticking out of him. I've got to get out of here. Provost Reiner is calling the police right now. Can't have them find me here with Jimmy's body. They're going to think that I was the one who who killed him. They're going to be here any second. There's got to be a way out of here. Damn it! Provost Reiner locked the lab door. I'm locked in. Think, McKellen, think. How do we get out of this room? Maybe the vent. Come on, that's so stupid. I'm never going to fit into a vent. Look around. Think, McKellen, think. But looking around was precisely what McKellen did not want to do. Not with Jimmy, lying across one of the lab tables, shirtless with blood dripping from his countless wounds. She wanted him to seem like a real person, a living person. But the stillness of his body reduced him to a mere heap of battered flesh, a grotesque science experiment with hypodermic needles growing out of him. Not her best friend. Not her research partner. Not the man who first kissed her by the window of the lab late one night The window? Of course. This building is almost a hundred years old. It has to have some sort of fire escape or scaffolding on the outside. There must be some way to get down to the ground. Rockefeller University was located on a large hill which towered directly over the FDR drive that snaked along Manhattan's east side. McAllen grabbed her backpack and looked directly down to see an antiquated fire escape leading downwards. She couldn't tell if it was rusted, painted red, or just covered in dirt. The building was only five stories high, but the drop seemed much further looking all the way down to the FDR, which lay a few hundred feet below the campus. If she dropped, it was 50-50 whether she would hit the ground or fall all the way down to the highway by the East River. But, with time slipping away from her, she had little choice. She touched the ground and started to run towards the exit of Rockefeller University on York Avenue. But her heart suddenly sank. She was leaving Jimmy's body. Who would bury him? Who would tell of his last days? She should be there at the funeral to say goodbye, to comfort his parents, to tell them that- Shit! The police! The police! I can't believe they got here this quickly! God damn you, Reiner! I can't get out through the main gate! How the hell am I supposed to get off this campus? But she knew there was only one way out, and that way was down, down further to the FDR drive. McAllen ducked back behind Founders Hall and ran a few feet to the edge of the cliff that descended precipitously to the highway. From the corner of her eye, she spied a utility ladder bolted to the side of the cliff. She peered over the edge and saw cars racing along the highway. McAllen heard the police sirens growing louder. She swallowed hard and, with one last thought of Jimmy, began climbing down the utility ladder against the face of the sheer cliff. 
McCallan descended down the ancient ladder until her luck ran out. More specifically, until the ladder ran out, which had broken off some 20 feet above the highway shoulder. Shit. The drop looks like it could be 20 feet or more from the ground. All right. Think. I'm five foot eight. Maybe if I do a dead hang from the last rung, I can reduce the drop to about 14 or 15 feet. Not great, but nobody ever died from a 15-foot fall. Right? McCallan lowered herself down to hang from the last rung of the ladder. But before she could get her feet under her, the last rusted rung snapped off in her hands, sending McCallan tumbling Ooh. down. McCallan fell hard and couldn't stay on her feet. She tumbled off to her side, off the highway shoulder, landing on her hands and knees directly in the uh-huh. southbound lane of the FDR. A blue Mazda in the right lane bore down on McCallan. She scrambled to get on her feet, but all she could hear was the squealing of the tires burning against the brake pads. It was coming too fast. The car had slowed significantly, but it still struck McCallan hard. She was shaken, but conscious. She tried to get to her feet, but a sharp burning pain in her right leg prevented it. A large bone bruise, the size of a golf ball, had started to grow on her upper shin. I gotta get out of here. I can't stick around to fill out some stupid accident report. The police can't find me. I gotta move. Where do I go? Where do I go? McCallan ran away from the stopped cars as people on the highway yelled at her to come back. Her gait was painful and lopsided as she limped on her bruised right leg. She got off the FDR at 61st Street and continued to Lexington Avenue, where she promptly got on the 5 train heading downtown. safe on the subway. Totally anonymous, constantly moving. God, my leg hurts. Probably fractured. Where am I supposed to go now? I should see Nana. Those Leviathan guys could be there. They know something about Nana. So does that Whit Roberts guy and his group. I wonder which one killed Jimmy. Who am I supposed to trust now? McCallan stayed on the five train for over an hour as tears ran down her cheeks. She didn't cry out, not wanting to draw attention to herself, but her face grew cold in its growing wetness. At first, she tried to hide her bloodied leg, but soon realized that it took more than a tear-stained injured woman to elicit any notice or sympathy from the jaded New York commuters. She closed her eyes hard as minutes swept by her. Finally, she took a deep breath reached into her backpack to grab a napkin to wipe her nose and face. Her pain was real, and she would feel it for a long time to come. But now, it was time to open her eyes wide and to formulate her plan. Alaska. All the answers to all of this are in Alaska. The file Senshin gave me talks about finding the key. I don't know what kind of key he's talking about. It lies in a wreck called the Cedar Elm. I could pay the captain of the ship that discovered it, but that's exactly what everyone would be expecting. The Leviathan group would know exactly where I am, and I don't trust them enough to do their bidding. If they know where I am, probably others do as well. I need to keep a low profile. For now, it's the only way I'll stay safe. I need to get lost. I could fly into Seattle and rent a car. Yeah. I could probably make the drive to Anchorage in a day or two. Yeah. No one can track me by car. Border crossing should be a breeze. Leviathan, Whit Roberts, they'll be looking for me in the wrong place. I need to get the key first without anybody knowing. It's the only way I can control the situation. 
think I know how to do it. But first, before the police put out an APB on me, I've got to make a withdrawal from the bank. A big one. Homer, Alaska, four days later. The temperature hovered around 25 degrees Fahrenheit as a steady stream of fishing boats returned home from the cold, turbulent ocean. The mood at the Homer Marina was dour. Earlier in the day, all of the fishing boats that left the harbor were being called back to port due to an incoming storm that was threatening to be the worst the city had seen in a decade. Heavy storms were rare this far north, and the vessels were ill-equipped to be out in such tempestuous weather. Most of the fishing boats hadn't made it fully out to the rich, deep waters to haul their lucrative catch. All they had done was waste valuable fuel. A boat that looked like it had been a fishing trawler in a previous life was berthed at the very end of the last pier at the Homer Marina. It had two large outriggers that were latched straight upwards, giving the boat the impression of having a set of horns. The bow of the boat was inundated with scientific equipment that was haphazardly strapped to the hull of the vessel. The body of the boat was fiberglass, deeply scratched and dented. The chrome railing that ran from stern to bow was heavily rusted in some parts and simply non-existent in others. Its available deck space was so crowded with dirty equipment that it provoked the image of a floating tech junkyard. It had, in short, seen much better days. In the stern of the boat, in faded green block letters, read the name Hail Mary. Just above the letters, nervously perched on the boat's edge, sat the ship's captain, Jeff Tully, shouting into his cell phone. Yes. Yes. Oh, no, I hear you. It's just... I know, we just need more time. Three weeks is all I'm asking for. Well, of course, we'll need additional funds, but not as much as last time. Just fuel and crew and... Come on, people have been looking for this wreck for 300 years, and you are breaking our balls over six months. Look, I apologize. No, you're not. Over my dead fucking body. Yeah? Yeah, you just try it. You just fucking try it. Oh, shit. What did he say? He said they're gonna take the boat. That's all he said. He said they're going to cut our hands and feet off, let us bleed to death, and then take the boat. I liked it better the first time. Me too. You know, we never should have gotten involved Hey, with... hey. I know that. But this is where we are. He said we got three weeks. We can make something happen in three weeks, Obi. I know we can. We've been looking for six months. Hey, there's a lot of ocean out there. A lot. And we're the best, right? Right. So, is he going to advance the funds for the fuel? We sort of hung up on each other. Oh, Tully! What the hell are we going to do for fuel? We owe the marina over $20,000. They may kill us before the Yakuza. We'll think of something. Like what? I said I'll think of something. Well, I already did. I got a call from a young woman earlier today. She said her name is McAllen Orsel. Said she's looking for a last-minute charter along the Aleutians. Oh, come on. You've got to be kidding me. We got three weeks to save our asses, and you want me to be SS Minnow for some girl to take pictures of sea lions? Holly, think about it. We could charge her enough to fill up on diesel, then use the fuel left over to take one last run at the Cortez. We could still find our treasure. Did you tell her we've got a storm coming in, Obi? Fifteen to twenty footers, if you believe CNN. The 
current's running all wrong, too. We'll use twice as much fuel. You better start thinking more positive. Oh, yeah? How come? Because she's going to be here in 20 minutes. Ah, hell, Oberlin. 20 minutes. Try to stay sober. Come in. Hi. My name is McAllen Orsel. I called earlier and spoke to an Oberlin St. Clair about arranging a charter on the Hail Mary. He mentioned you'd be coming by. Oh, then you must be Jeffrey Tully. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, um, Captain Jeffrey Tully. Tully is just fine. Fair enough. Um, is Oberlin here? Nah, he's up at the dockmaster's office settling up our fuel tap. He should be back any minute. I see. Well, he mentioned you might have some availability during the next few days for a private charter. Well, I don't know about the next few days. I mean, have you seen what's out there? There's a serious low-pressure system coming in. Everything from Anchorage to Vancouver is heading back into port to ride this thing out. Look, Captain Tully... Tully. Okay. Tully. I really need to get out on the water right away. There's a window of time involved here. I cannot explain it right now, but you've got to get us out of dock today. Lady, you've got to find yourself another boat. There's no way... Look, there's no other boat. I need this boat. I don't get it. Why do you need... Because you know exactly where the Cedar Elm lies. What the hell do you know about the Cedar Elm? I know that it was your work for historical explorations that found it. You left the company eight months ago to start your own treasure hunting operation. You found it last time, and you can find it again. Look... I wasn't trying to find the Cedar Elm. We just stumbled on it when I was plotting for the Orlando Cortez. It's not going to be that easy to find anymore. And in this weather, it's too dangerous. Look, I'll be honest. I could go to historical explorations and have them take me there. But I think it's your wreck. You found it. So I came to your ship. Frankly, it looks like you could use the business. But if you want me to go to historical explorations, that's fine. As long as you're on my ship, I don't want to hear any talk about historical explorations. They're a bunch of scumbags and thieves, and they couldn't find a damn shipwreck in Dry Dock. I'm sorry, I didn't realize that there was bad blood. But listen, I really need to get to that wreck, to the Cedar Elm, quickly. Can you get me there? (coughs) No. I don't think you understand. I just flew across the country and have been driving nonstop for almost four days. Why the hell can't you get me there? Two reasons. There's your first. The mother of storms is rowing in here. Gonna feel the full brunt of it in a few hours. I'm not taking the Hail Mary out into a storm with all of my surveillance equipment in active mode hanging off the side of the boat. One bad wave, I lose my mini-sub. Wind gust at 60 miles an hour, I lose my sonar array. But that's not even the point. Then what is the point? The Cedar Elm is about to get blown up. What? Yeah damn wreck has been moving around ever since we discovered it months ago. Currents keep kicking it around, I guess. First it was drifting south with the current, and then that son of a bitch started cutting east. Don't ask me why. And now it's drifted off into the fishing lanes. All the halibut and crab boats have been getting their lines all torn up. So the Longshoremen's Union petitioned the Navy to slate it for underwater demolition. Wait, so is it still intact, or have they already blown it up? Don't know. Don't care. There's no way this boat is leaving this dock under any circumstances in these conditions. No way.
get out of dock! You, off my boat now! And untie the stern and spring lines when you get off! Ooh. That one and that one! I'll help, but I'm not leaving! Holy! Get the damn lines off and start the engine! I'm on the lines! You get up to the bridge and get the engines fired! Are you giving me orders? Move! There's no time! You really gotta get out of here now! Oh my god, Charlie! Those guys were trying to kill me! I started walking over to the office in the parking lot. All of a sudden, this car blows up next to me and throws me across the lot. Then this other guy gets out of a van and starts shouting orders. Must have been six or eight guys jumping out of the van. I couldn't see their faces because I... They're off all lines. Let's get the hell out of here. I'm green on both engines. Hang on. The Hail Mary roared out of its slip in the Honda Marina. A rooster tail of wake came flying off the boat's twin caterpillar engines. The Hail Mary was now cruising at almost 35 miles per hour, causing sirens to blow and people to scream to try and get the charging boat to stop. Shots were still being fired from a great distance, only a few hitting their target. But clearly, someone was trying to kill them. Suddenly, the window in front of McAllen's face shattered. We gotta go faster! What the hell are you still doing on my boat? Who is she? Oh, we check the bilge pumps and make sure we're not taking on water. You, McCallum, keep your head low and check in the stern if the davits holding the mini-sub are in the locked position. If you look all the way at the bottom for a lever, that should be stuck where you see red paint that says lock. Make sure it's in that position. Got it. Where are we going? Doesn't matter, but we gotta get the hell out of here. Fast. The Hail Mary was almost through the inlet, which was covered by a narrow drawbridge, which, as luck would have it, was in the down position. They're still shooting at us. They, they're trying to stop us. You've got to get us out of here faster, Tully. I'm trying. The engines are at full bore. We're almost at the inlet. What the hell was that? I must have hit one of the air tanks on the bow. Jesus Christ. Tully, cut hard to port before we pass that huge freighter. They won't be able to get a clean shot at us. We're almost at the inlet. Hang on. There's not enough room with the drawbridge down. If they hit one of our air tanks again, we're history. These other boats better make some room. Oh, shit. The bow of the Hail Mary just made it past the front of the freighter, but now it looked like the stern and the mini-sub were going to be crushed by the impending hull. At the last possible second, Tully yanked the wheel starboard, whipping the stern away from the edge of the freighter. The sudden motion caused the stern of the Hail Mary to tuck under and away from the freighter by mere inches. Did we hit? Didn't feel anything. Nice flying, Tully. Thanks. We're almost through the inlet. Where do we go now? Where no one can follow us. Right into the belly of this storm. Two hours later, Tokyo. Kazunori Tanaka, the CEO of Nankatsu Industries, swiveled in the chair of his 70th floor corner office. He wanted to take in the gleaming midnight lights of the Ginza shopping district. He loved the skyline of Tokyo at night, with its flashing lights and striking architecture. Its sights was always one of comfort for him. Unfortunately, this was the first time the stunning view did not achieve its intended effect. Tanaka's face remained furled in a deep and uneasy frown. Yes? Do you know who this is? Yes. Do you know why I'm calling? Yes. Then you know the cost of failure. 
Our mission has not been a complete failure. We have been able to provide extensive information regarding- I didn't risk calling you to listen to your excuses. You have been well compensated for your role in this operation. I have no tolerance for your lack of commitment. My commitment has not wavered. I am sorry for my failure. Luckily, for your son, I have a contingency plan in place. I have no son. Of course not. At least not with your wife. But what of your Ajin, your mistress? What? How did you- Oh, Tanaka-san. You hit her so well. Almost as well as your ties to the Yakuza. You hid your mistress in the building next to your headquarters. Your company constructed its own tower at such great cost. I'll bet no one knows about the storage room in your secure telecommunications center on the 37th floor and how the back of the closet opens into the next building. And while all of your employees believe their chief executive is conducting high-level video conference with leaders around the world, you were secretly visiting her. What of your child with her? Your little Toshi. We didn't have to use any secret doors. We found him alone playing Nintendo in the media room of the apartment you gave him and his mother. Your guards didn't do a very good job watching him. Of course, it's hard to pay attention when your cerebellum has been punctured by a hypodermic needle containing a lethal dose of a poisonous nicotine extract. Toshi didn't like stepping over their corpses when we- You monster! How could you let him see that? He's just a child and has nothing to do with our affairs. I have always offered my resources to your discretion. I have fulfilled my obligations to you. You have no right- Your obligations will be fulfilled when I say so. The arms deals you secured with Pakistan were facilitated by my group. The patents on your celebrated consumer electronics were the result of corporate espionage conducted by my group. When you wanted to leave the Yakuza, we were the only one to be able to give you a fully new identity. Without us, you'd be another mid-level gangster collecting money from prostitutes. I think you substantially underestimate your debt to my group. Your son will only be the beginning of your loss if you don't. Please. Please. Let Toshi go. You cannot- I can do whatever I need to do in order to complete our mission. When my objectives have been met, I'm willing to consider your son's release. Consider? Oh, I think he's beginning to like it here. He was a little cold at first. I mean that literally, of course. You know we have a special room here called the Weather Room. It's not very large, but it can do some remarkable things. It can simulate any weather condition on Earth. It can be as cold as the Arctic tundra, or as hot and humid as the Bazian rainforest. We can simulate wind conditions up to 200 miles per hour. It can even simulate the atmospheric conditions on Everest. In fact, right now, your Toshi is climbing Kilimanjaro. The winds aren't too bad, but it's amazing how much the temperature drops at night, almost down to five degrees. That's pretty cold for a little boy just wearing a t-shirt and sweatpants. But what really gets you is the oxygen deprivation. It gets pretty hard to breathe over 18,000. Just stop. I'll do whatever you ask, whatever your plan is. Please, release my son. Right now, it's time to initiate our backup plan. I'll initiate. You'll be doing cleanup duty. Meanwhile, almost a full 24 hours later... Captain Jeff Tully came back into the warmth of the main cabin. He had been driving exposed on the flying bridge of the Hail Mary for over four hours. He was dripping wet and frigid with cold. Oh, Jesus, it's still pretty bad up there, but I think it's lightening up. 
We must have already passed the worst of it. What do you show for our position, Obi? About 500 miles due west of Homer. The storm is staying strong, but seems to be hugging the coast headed south. Good. That'll keep people off our tail. I just popped the autopilot. That'll keep us on our heading for a while. <sighs> I need some coffee. How bad's the damage out there? We've seen a lot worse. Luckily, the O2 tank that exploded was barely filled, so we pretty much just got hit with some shrapnel damage and minor hull fractures. Sounds like we got off light. I'm not done. Oh, no. Yeah, the ROV took some hard hits from the tank. A good chunk of shrapnel sliced through the cable spool like a chainsaw. How much is still usable? Well, if we do some splicing, we could probably get about 2,500 feet off it. We had close to 10,000. I know, I know. We could have sold it to raise money and get our Japanese friends off our backs. Don't think I wasn't thinking about it. Well, I'm running a sonar sweep in case we hit the trail again. How the hell are we going to find the Cortez with 2,500-foot tether for our probe? I don't know. I don't know. But we got bigger problems right now. Where's the girl? Down below. She's asleep. In this slop? She said she's got sea legs. Something about her parents being marine archaeologists. Plus, she said she's been up for three days. I think she could have passed out on a roller coaster. Well, when she gets up, let's have a chat with Ms. McAllen Orsel and figure out what the hell she wants with our boat. morning, sunshine. Hmm. What time is it? About 7.30 in the morning, at least in Anchorage. We're actually pretty close to the next time zone. I've been asleep for 20 hours? Aren't you guys exhausted? We've been going in shifts. We've got some coffee made. Can I get you a cup? You'd be the greatest. Well, with a little luck, we can get you over to Cold Bay before midnight. From there, you should be able to catch an air taxi back to Anchorage, Juneau, or wherever the hell you need to go. What? I'm not going to Cold Bay Island. I need to get to the Cedar Elm. It was supposed to be some sort of sightseeing charter. I never said that. Oberlin, you said she was a charter. It sounded like a beautiful woman needing a boat for a few days. I didn't think she wanted to go fishing. Look, you always blame me. All right, all right, all right. Let's not get into this. I don't get it, McAllen. What's so special about that shipwreck to you? It's an old freighter from the 40s. It's got no treasure, no historical... It has something I need. That's all you need to know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. Look, this isn't pretty, but there's a price on my head. To keep my operation afloat, I had to raise some money from some very questionable sources. And right now, the only way I'm getting out of this situation is to find the Orlando Cortez. It'll take another day just to get out to the spire near the fishing lanes where the Cedar Elm was last detected. It might not even be there anymore could be blown to shards or just drifting in the sand. God knows how long it'll take to find it. And then if we find it, we've got to prep for the dive. That'll be at least a day. The actual sub-time could take up most of a day. And then we've got to get back in port. We'll be so far out that it'll take a few days for that. Look, there's just no way I have that kind of time. Uh, I'd like to help. Then help. I've got to find the Cortez. All I got left is this boat, some maps, some plans, and, and foul weather gear, and an Oberlin, and he ain't worth spit. Ah, uh, no. How much? What? Your bounty, the price on your head. How much are we talking about? A lot. I'm not going to ask you again. $250,000, plus some interest, I think. I think it compounds very quickly. I was reading I'll pay how- it. What? 
I'll pay it. $250,000. I can help you and make it all go away. But you've got to help me. Now. You've got to get me to my wreck, the Cedar Elm, and I need to get something off of it. You're bluffing. Oberlin, you look like a gentleman. Would you help a lady with her bags and grab the red duffel bag I brought on board? It's in my stateroom. Aye, chivalry is not lost at sea. Thank you. McCallum, come here. Why do I feel like there's something you're not telling me? It's because you're suspicious. And you've been dealing with suspicious people. And you've had a rough few years. And now you're down on your luck. And you don't know the half of it. We could help each other, Tully. As Lassie requested, one red duffel bag. Thank you, Oberlin. Here, Tully. Cat. Go ahead. Open it. How much is in there? More than $250,000. How did you get this money? It's sort of a long story. Well, we might have a bit of time on our hands. Look, are you going to help me or not? Tully, we need the help. Let me ask you something. How did you say you got to Homer? I told you, I drove. What kind of car? I don't know. It was a rental car. Silverish. Um, I think it could have been a Volvo. Obi, where were you when our friends back in Homer started shooting at us? I was walking on my way to the marina office. There is a woman who works in the manager's office. Sometimes I try to teach her a little Celtic. It says her grandmother hails from the old country. I was going to try to convince her to redate our past due invoice and buy us a few days, Tully. But before I got to the office, I dropped my keys. They fell under our car and I got down on my hands and knees to grab them. And that's when the shooting happened. I started to run back to the boat, and I saw one of the men take out a shoulder-mounted rocket launcher. Blew the hell out of that car. What kind of car was it? I don't know. What kind of car, Oberlin? What color was it? It was gray. I don't remember. Silver? Yeah, maybe. Was it a Volvo? I think it was. I parked right in front of the marina office. I don't see what the big deal is. Those guys, they weren't shooting at us. They were shooting at you. They were trying to kill you, weren't they? Answer me. I'm telling you, I don't know. I have some pretty shady dealings with some unsavory characters, but even those lowlifes wouldn't be lunatic enough to fire an RPG in a parking lot in broad daylight. Tully, if she stole the money, then the person would want her alive. To tell them where their money is. But this... this was different. This was an extermination. I don't think our girl is a thief. Well, it's pretty clear that someone wants one of us dead pretty badly. Please. Please, Tully. I need your help. You know, I don't know. Thief or not, I got a lot of problems right now. Big problems. And I don't need to take your money to solve one set of issues just so I can throw myself into a whole nother new mess. I mean, how do I know? What was that? Sonar alarm. Hold on, I'm checking. Well, Tully, I think fate is trying to tell you something. What the hell are you talking about? You're not going to believe this, but we just passed over the Cedar Elm. What? It's confirmed. Come, see for yourself. That's totally impossible. We shouldn't be near the wreck site for another 20 hours. We've got to be 500 miles off this thing at least. There's no way that... I'm telling you it's the same wreck. Tully, look at the depth found it, right? You did it, right? 
I knew you would. We found the Cedar Elm. We did it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Okay. I'll take the good news. Well, based on what we're seeing on sonar, it looks like the wreck is intact. The Navy's detonation I told you about must not have occurred yet. That being said, I don't like the idea of diving around a ticking time bomb. And the bad news? Um, you, you don't seem to get it. This wreck, it, it isn't supposed to be here. We're still 500 miles away from its last recorded sighting. And that was several months ago when it was clogging up the fishing lanes. Now, I've seen some wrecks move before due to current and underwater seismic activity. But never more than a mile or two at most. And never this far. It's, it, it's totally impossible. Hey, I understand that it's weird, but let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. This is good news. We found it, right? Or it found us. Callan, you're not getting the bad news. We're sitting over a pretty deep part of the ocean called the Kodiak Trench. It drops down almost 10,000 feet. So, what does that mean? I don't get it. McAllen, when we saw the Cedar Elm last, it was 500 miles away in much shallower water. It shouldn't be here. And certainly not this deep. That means we can't reach the wreck, McAllen. It's it's too deep for us to reach. No. No, 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 no. That can't be. I'll pay you whatever you want. You've got a mini-sub on the back of the boat and that, 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 what do you call it, that drone thing? R-O-V. Remote Operated Vehicle. Right. The R-O-V front with a million miles of cable. You've got tools and equipment. You found it before. That was different. That was with Historical Explorations Research Boat that was state-of-the-art and already outfitted for deep-sea reconnaissance and salvage. Don't forget, we were looking for the Orlando Cortez. We just stumbled on the seat around. And now, we're riddled with bullet holes, low on supplies before we even left. You said you were still looking for the Orlando Cortez. You wanted to drop me off on some island so you could keep looking for it. You have to be geared up to look for something that deep. You must have some... In case you don't remember, we kind of got run out of town. We weren't planning on leaving port for another 24 hours. We don't have enough mixed gas for a dive that deep. How deep is the Cedar Elm? Just under 10,000 feet. You don't understand. For deeper surveillance, we use the ROV. It's capable of going far deeper, far longer than any manned submersible. But when our O2 tanks got nailed by that crossfire at the marina, the shrapnel cut through the umbilical cord of the ROV, essentially cutting its range by 75%. We had about 10,000 feet. Now we have 2,500 feet, if we're lucky. And the mini-sub is only good for 8,000 feet with the equipment that we have on board, and that's pushing it. So there's no way... Daisy chain. Excuse me? What? Daisy chain them. Combine the two together, don't you see? Maybe not as clearly as you. Okay. The ROV. Let's get it in the water and evaluate how much usable cable we have to work with. Oberlin, you think we have at least 2,000 feet of tether available, right? At least. We should spool that out until we get to the usable end. Then we can splice that to the mini-sub to extend our salvage range to at least 10,000 feet. Wait, you think attaching an ROV umbilical tether to a submersible is as easy as snapping a couple of pieces of Lego together? That umbilical cord carries power, data, fiber optics to an interface that is completely custom-designed for the Hail Mary. There's no way we could just... Actually, that's not entirely true. Oberlin. Well, you are right, Holly. It's certainly not as easy as snapping two pieces of Lego together. But given the fact that the ROV would be within a half mile of the mini-sub, which doesn't have much damage on it, we could conceivably use a wireless interface to communicate with the ROV using radio waves could modify the ROV software to accept a directional signal as well. After all, 
This isn't a scientific mission, and outside of rigging up some sort of camera system, the data only needs to go one way, to the ROV. Mm, power is another matter. We will need to do a bit of splicing in order to allow the ROV to tap into the sub's power supply. It should give us enough time to descend to the Cedar Elm as long as... As long as what? Well, I was just going to say, as long as you don't have any malfunctions. How long is all of this going to take to reconfigure? Actually, it wouldn't be that hard. The mini-sub has an AC jack that we use for recharging its batteries. I could probably splice the end on the ROV cable to fit into the recharging outlet and reverse the polarity that powers the ROV. Once we have established visuals, we could give it commands wirelessly using the radio frequency I'll program into my computer. Oh, I'm surprised I didn't think of this sooner. That's fantastic. Would you excuse us, Oberlin? May I speak to you down below, please? Are you out of your fucking mind? Why are you going all MacGyver to help this girl out? Do you seriously want to rip apart all of our equipment to chase some derelict wreck? We need to find the Orlando Cortez, not the Cedar Elm. Look, I don't know who was shooting at us back in Homer, and I don't know even if they were shooting at McAllen or us, but I do know that we still owe the Yakuza a lot of money. If we can find the Orlando Cortez, Records show that it contained over $300 million in silver bullion when it went down. That would get rid of all of our problems, get a decent boat, and put us on... That's exactly what I'm saying. This woman has all the money we need to get the heat off our backs sitting in a suitcase right there. That's the sure thing. The Orlando Cortez is a crapshoot. People have been looking for this thing since it went down centuries ago. And you think you can find it in three weeks because of a map you stole? This has nothing to do with the money. This is about fame. This is about historical explorations. And this is about her. That's not true. You can't say that. Tolly! We don't always have to take the hard way. Let's help this woman. Let's earn the money we need, fair and square. We've got no place left to run. Alright. Alright. You really think you can rig the mini-sub and the ROV together? I haven't the slightest idea, but it would be fun to try. Oberlin, a skipper never had a better first mate. McAllen, could you come down here, please? So, has the tribe spoken? Let's just say I hope you're good with a screwdriver, because we got a lot of work to do for your Operation Daisy Chain. Grab a pair of overalls in the cubby. We're going after the Cedar Realm. You have been listening to The Leviathan Chronicles by Christoph Leputka. For more episodes and information, log on to www.leviathanchronicles.com. Somewhere in the lush pastures just outside the Mutual Audio Network building. Wasted away again in Medagaritaville. Lothar, give me the bottle. No. Now. No. Jack said we had to do this. For the AD community. Hey, Jan, we got your text. Hey, yeah, what's up? You said Brother Lothar needed us? 
Thanks, Jeff. Jack, uh... Yeah, Lothar. He's, well, really wasted. And he won't stop drinking. I think this one's going to take all three of us. Well, I know he likes his cocktails, but isn't this a bit early, even for him? And why is he singing about Mad Dog 2020? Jan, what's this about? Lothar, overheard you talking about Mad Con 2020, and, well, he misheard. Wait. Are you saying that... Yeah, he thought you said there would be three days of Mad Dog 2020, not three days of Mad Con in 2020. And he's like been drinking that swill ever since. Getting out in the rain. Oh, let me talk to him. Thanks. I tried to tell him, but I think that stuff's already rotted what's left of his brain. Here, I'll take one for the team. <laughs> hey, brother. Hey, Jeff. You here for some Mad Dog 2020? Um, yeah, but uh, they were out at the store. Can I have a swig off yours? Of course, brother. Lothar, you shouldn't be drinking that. I'm not. <laughs> Jeff is. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, look, you heard us talking about Mad Dash Con 2020, not Mad Dog 2020. Uh, what's your bucket? Oh, 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 this stuff is almost as bad as Ripple. Mad Dash Con. The modern audio drama convention. It's the first convention of its kind. And it'll occur in 2020. A convention? Yes, yes. Producers, directors, writers, editors, composers, actors, and and fans of audio drama are going to come from all over to Halifax, Nova Scotia for the weekend of July 24th to the 26th of 2020. We have all sorts of things scheduled. We have recording sessions and workshops, panels, and the opportunity for folks, fans, and creators alike to meet in person. www.mad-con.com. That's mad-con.com has all the details, including how to register. That's, that's a really cool idea, man. Oh, that's much better than drinking this stuff. Oh... God, I've only had three sips, and I'm not sure I can feel my face. Oh, Come on, honey, let's get you back inside. Thanks, guys. No problem, Lady Jan. We're not going to let him live this one down anytime soon, are we? Oh, I should think not. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Remember to listen and drink responsibly, listeners. Mad Dash Con 2020. Not to be confused with any kind of fortified wine. Oh. Yeah! 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 Yeah!